Hi, I'm Snigdha Sharma and you're listening to Three Things, the Indian Express news show. In this episode, we discuss the oxygen crisis in Goa's largest government COVID facility. We also talk about the Russian Sputnik V vaccine along with the center's new guidelines for COVID management in rural areas. Beginning with the tragedy that unfolded in Goa over the last one week. In the early hours of Tuesday, the 11th of May, 26 COVID patients at the Goa Medical College Hospital died gasping for air. The incident, yet another example of the country's crumbling health infrastructure, has also revealed how lives that could have probably been saved were lost due to inefficient management and lack of coordination between concerned authorities. To talk about exactly how the tragedy unraveled at GMC, we spoke to Indian Express's Goa correspondent Mayura Janwalkar. She began by telling us about GMC and its role in treating COVID cases in Goa. The Goa Medical College and Hospital or GMC as it is commonly known by people in Goa is the largest government run facility in Goa for treatment of COVID-19 patients and of course other illnesses as it was treating before. But uh, Goa at the moment has about 2032 beds for covid patients in the state of which 548 are in gmc and in addition to that it has 160 icu beds and recently meaning just last week there was a super specialty ward in the hospital that was also commissioned and as of yesterday 350 covid 19 patients were moved to the new ward since it's a government run facility people from all socio economic strata go to gmc for treatment and uh, the goa government has been treating patients free in its hospitals so mayura can you take us back to the 11th of may and the nights that followed and uh, tell us exactly what went down at gmc on the 11th of may the health minister of goa vishwajit rani flagged 26 deaths in gmc that took place between 2 am and 6 am supposedly due to a shortage of oxygen supply to covid-19 patients now this was the day that uh, goa had also recorded its highest ever single day mortality there were 75 deaths in goa that day now of course this set off alarms in a number of places when the health minister himself came out with a disclosure like that and uh, not only did he say that uh, these 26 people may have died because of oxygen shortage but he also said that the high court must inquire into the Now after that a high court of Bombay at Goa that was already hearing a bunch of PILs that were related to covid management took stock of uh, this development on the next day and of course expressed shock over what was going on and asked the state administration to appraise the court of uh, what measures were taken to supply oxygen to patients and also asked them whether these deaths had in fact taken place because of oxygen supply shortage the day later the high court had uh, categorically said that the government must ensure that if this is happening because of oxygen shortage the following day in that critical window in the night there should be no patients dying of uh, because of oxygen shortage but uh, unfortunately even the next day there were 15 deaths in the same ward and the court this is also what the court was told and uh, the court in fact said that uh, they were sorry and that people had been failed but uh, the government of course had a lot to do even at that point in time and it uh, sprung into action only after it had directions from the high court right and uh, 
what exactly were the reasons provided by the concerned authorities for these deaths among the many reasons that it had cited for delays in supply of oxygen was um, a logistical problem is what they called it which was the the way oxygen is supplied uh, to gmc from a supplier who is located 15 kilometers away there are trolleys of oxygen cylinders now one trolley carries 48 cylinders and this trolley is towed by a tractor like an agricultural tractor so even when the court was told that it's a tractor that drags this trolley the court asked is this an agricultural tractor that is used in the fields and uh, the government said yes and uh, the court then of course asked the government if there was no other way to supply oxygen and everybody from senior bureaucrats to the dean of gmc to the advocate general uh, everybody was present in court and they had to give the court a lowdown on how they were supplying oxygen to gmc based on the contract that they were in with the supplier scoop industries and one of the reasons was that in the middle of the night it was delays could have been caused if the drivers driving the tractor were not trained enough or didn't have the expertise to drive the tractor which could possibly lead to delays and delays in replacing trolleys or cylinders from trolleys from what it looked like at that point in time could be one of the reasons for why patients were left gasping in the middle of the night the high court of bombay at goa however was not very convinced it called the situation in the state's largest coronavirus facility quite grim it also said that deaths under such conditions are a violation of the fundamental right to life urging officials to ensure that there were no deaths due to oxygen shortage the court said and i quote We are long past the stage of determining whether patients are suffering from the lack of oxygen or not. The materials placed before us establishes that patients are indeed suffering and in some cases succumbing for want of oxygen in the state of Goa. Unquote. The horror at GMC continued even as the Goa bench of the Bombay High Court kept hearing petitions related to the deaths during the dark hours between 2 a.m. and 6 a.m. at the Premier Hospital. So in addition to the 26 deaths that the health minister first flagged and the 15 that the court was informed about a day later Goa Forward Party president uh, Vijay Sardesai said that on May 13th there were another 13 deaths in same time window in GMC for the same reason which was a dip in the pressure of oxygen in covid-19 wards and as of yesterday Sardesai again claimed that there were eight more deaths in DMC at the same time and for the same reasons while the state government has not revealed the exact cause of the recent deaths at the gmc it told the high court that there were logistic issues related to the supply of medical oxygen to the patients mayura tells us more about the response from the authorities after the high court intervened in the matter and of course the high court pulled up everybody senior bureaucrats the dean the health authorities the administration entirely and asked them what they could do to find solutions to this problem and the high court had also sought affidavit from the dean of the gmc the director of health services which were submitted to the high court now there was an affidavit that the dean that sn bandekar who is the acting dean of gmc had submitted to the court on the 12th of may and in his affidavit he had to state whether or not uh, there was a problem in gmc with regard to the supply of oxygen 
the government may have made efforts to get a 20,000 liter oxygen tank that will supply oxygen centrally, you know, reducing dependence on cylinders and trolleys. But nobody could put a finger on anything and say that this problem has been resolved because the complaints of oxygen dips, uh, pressure drips or oxygen shortage didn't really go away. Even resident doctors who attended two patients in the ward the same night said that they did experience a drop in pressure for about 20 minutes. However, they said that patients did not desaturate at this time. Now, one of the many reasons for the clear mismanagement going on in Goa seems to be the visible differences between the Chief Minister and the Health Minister of the governing BJP. The Health Minister, Vishwajit Rane, had earlier called for a High Court probe into the 26 deaths, saying that these could be due to oxygen shortage. And he also said that the Chief Minister, Pramod Savant, might be quote-unquote misguided. So the tension, uh, so to say, between the Chief Minister and the Health Minister is not just limited to GMC. The tension had started brewing sometime in mid-April when the Health Minister in various press conferences had uh, said that there was a need for a lockdown, which the Chief Minister would either the next day or almost a few hours later would say that the government had not taken any decision on a lockdown. The differences were very clearly visible, but the questions about you know why they couldn't be resolved were more often than not skirted by both of them. And in the days that followed, there were a number of issues that they differed on, like the health minister had said that they need an immediate lockdown. But the chief minister had said that at that time, there was no need for an immediate lockdown and they were going to take some measures to follow certain safety protocols, which would have been enough if people followed them. That was followed again, you know, by a four-day lockdown and then by an extended curfew by lockdown. But then on May 11, the health minister said that uh, there were 26 deaths in GMC, which were probably on account of a shortage of oxygen. Now, when that happened, of course, after that, the chief minister was not available for a comment for about uh, three days after that. But, uh, of course, the fact that the health minister and the chief minister were not on the same page about a number of issues then started to be seen as one of the reasons for why there was mismanagement in the COVID treatment. However, on Saturday, the authorities made almost a U-turn on the reasons for the tragedy. The medical superintendent and acting dean of the GMC, S.M. Bandekar, who had filed an affidavit saying otherwise, said that there cannot be a correlation between the drop in oxygen supply in the COVID wards and the deaths of the patients. And the health minister, Vishwajit Rane, who had first highlighted the deaths, also said that you cannot correlate a particular death to a particular situation. And finally, to highlight the most important yet often ignored aspect of the tragedy, that is the effects of what happened on the minds of those who lost their loved ones, Mayura told us about one story that stuck with her. I spoke to the brother-in-law of Divakar Biturkar, who passed away in GMC on May 13 at about 5 a.m. His brother-in-law, Heman Kamli, told me, what happened the day before he died. And he said at uh, 10.30 p.m. on May 12th, he had spoken to his uh, brother-in-law for the last time. And uh, when they spoke, he was absolutely fine. 
he just asked after his health and then he left the hospital he left gms and he said that uh, he was in his house in thivi which is in north goa and that's when he got a call from uh, an attendant who was there with his brother in law and said that uh, he wasn't holding up to well so when hemant kamli went back to the hospital he told me that he saw a number of patients in the same ward as his brother in law gasping for breath he said that those who were on oxygen support were gasping for breath and convulsing and there was chaos in the ward and there were some relatives of patients who were crying for help some of them were shouting but he had to just stay with his brother in law and ensure that he got his oxygen supply again he said that the supply may have been disrupted for at least about 20 minutes when there was panic in the ward he said that doctors were doing their best and there were a number of patients for them to cater he said there were just two doctors and there were at least 40 patients that they would have to look after but doctors were doing all in their capacity but they just could not restore the oxygen pressure which is of course not the job of the doctors to do and he said that this chaos ensued for about 20 minutes and then the oxygen pressure was restored but uh, his brother in law's condition was worsening and just hours after that at about 5 o'clock he passed away he was 51 years old and he's left behind his wife and son and uh, hemant kamli also said that he was torn up inside after the incident because he felt guilty for taking his brother in law to gmc when other family members had suggested that they go to a private hospital so he partially feels responsible for uh, taking his brother in law to gmc and he thinks that you know had they gone to another hospital his brother in law would have survived and now coming to the newest vaccine made available for the indian population sputnik v on friday the first shot of russia's sputnik v vaccine for covid-19 was administered in hyderabad in a soft launch at nearly 1000 rupees not just for private hospitals but also for the center and state governments it will be the most expensive vaccine so far in the country's mass immunization program so to know more about the vaccine we spoke to indian express's prabha raghavan so prabha if you can begin by telling us how sputnik v vaccine was developed the sputnik v vaccine is Russia's COVID-19 vaccine which was developed by the Gamaleya Research Institute of Epidemiology and Microbiology in Moscow. The way the vaccine works is by using something known as an adenovirus which is a common cold virus. The platform is very similar to what Covishield uses in India and uh the way it works is Sputnik V has two different adenoviruses both of these adenoviruses affect human beings unlike covishield which uses adenoviruses that affect chimpanzees the adenovirus is weakened and genetically modified so that it cannot replicate inside the body once it's injected and it's emptied out so that it can only carry the code to make the spiked outer surface of the coronavirus the spike protein once it's injected it goes in and it infects one cell 
And then the cell basically gets the code to make the spike protein, and it starts working on that. When there are enough of these spike proteins made, the body recognizes it as a foreign substance, as a potentially harmful existence in the body, and it tries to develop an immune response against it. Right. So what do we know about it so far in terms of uh, efficacy? Information about the efficacy of this vaccine came out early in February in a Lancet publication that said that from interim results of global ongoing phase three trials of this vaccine, it managed to show an efficacy of about 91.6%, which basically means that in those vaccinated, the vaccine was able to bring down the number of symptomatic and severe symptomatic COVID cases by about 92% as compared with those who wouldn't have received a vaccine. So Prabha, on what basis was it given approval in India? Like, uh, were there any trials conducted? So in order to get emergency or restricted emergency use permission in India, the Russian Direct Investment Fund, which basically has been in charge of inking pacts with different companies and making sure that this vaccine gets approvals in different countries, RDIF tied up with Dr. Reddy's laboratories in Hyderabad last year. Dr. Reddy's laboratories then conducted phase two, phase three clinical trials on human beings between the end of last year and the end of February this year. The vaccine was tested or the trials were conducted on about 1,500 to 1,600 people. And the purpose of these trials were to get information about whether this vaccine was safe to be used on the Indian population and whether it had the ability to prompt an immune response in those who were vaccinated over here. I think on the 19th of February, Dr. Reddy's then approached the Indian Drug Controller for a restricted emergency use approval. And it took about over a month for them to receive this approval because initially, according to an expert panel that was looking into their application, the company had not submitted sufficient, complete and updated information about the vaccine's safety and its ability to prompt an immune response. So it took about three or four meetings during the course of which They were asked questions about how safe the vaccine was, if they could give more updated information, and also questions about how stable the vaccine would be, how well the vaccine would be able to retain its safety and potency at its storage temperature of negative 18 degrees. There are two forms of this vaccine. One is a liquid form which is required to be stored at negative 18 degrees, which is so far the most stringent or most difficult storage requirement that vaccines being used against COVID in India have required in terms of cold storage. Covishield and Covaxin use a storage temperature of about 2 to 8 degrees, which is easy because you can then store them in regular refrigerators in that case. The other form of this vaccine is something known as a lyophilized form, 
which is a freeze-dried form of the vaccine, which allows it to be stored at two to eight degrees. However, Dr. Eddies has not been able to provide sufficient information or sufficient data that supports their claim that it can be stored at two to eight degrees in the freeze-dried form. So what they're doing right now is they're trying to collect that information so that they can get approval for this version of the vaccine as well, which would really help reduce the difficulties that companies, hospitals, and the government would face in storing this vaccine. But for now, the vaccine has been approved at a storage temperature of negative 18 degrees. Right. So how will the vaccine be distributed in India? What's the plan? So Dr. Reddy's on Friday announced the soft launch of Sputnik V by vaccinating one of its CEOs in Hyderabad with the first dose. Right now, there are not enough doses of this vaccine to allow Dr. Reddy's to launch it commercially for the mass population. So far, they only have about 150,000 doses of the vaccine, and they're expecting to get over the course of the next few months as many as 250 million doses of this vaccine. They hope to be able to vaccinate about 125 million people with these 250 million doses, and they expect that to take about 8 to 12 months. In the soft launch rollout, they are in the process of finding hospitals across the country, mainly in major cities and tier one metros that have the, the actual cold chain facilities that can allow for the storage of this vaccine at negative 18 degrees. They're also currently in talks with the central and state government to see the central and state governments to see how many doses they can supply and or which areas will be prioritized. So far, about 35 cities are being looked at, but there even the company has not received enough clarity on which ones it may actually end up sending the vaccines to in its soft launch rollout. So next, Prabha, if you could tell us how much will this vaccine exactly cost and also maybe uh, compare the price of this vaccine with the other vaccines available in India. So Sputnik V has been priced at about 948 rupees. And when you add 5% goods and service taxes to it, it ends up costing about 995 rupees a dose. This makes it the most expensive COVID vaccine that has been offered for government procurement because Dr. Reddy's management has said that this is the price at which they intend to sell the vaccine to the government. But when you look at it in the private market, where private hospitals are concerned, Sputnik V is then the second most expensive vaccine because at about 995 rupees a dose, which is about well, close to a thousand rupees a dose, it is only 200 rupees less expensive than Covaxin, which has been tested, developed, and manufactured in India. In comparison to these two rates, Covishield, which is the most widely used vaccine so far, has a price of about 600 rupees for private hospital procurement. 
So, Prabha, we know that there has been criticism of Sputnik V from various experts, right? So, what were the reasons for which it has been criticized? So, criticism over Sputnik V has existed ever since it received approval in Russia back in August last year. It was the first vaccine against COVID to receive approval in any country. But the issue was that the trials that were required to be conducted, including phase three trials, had not been finished at the time that Russia granted it emergency approval. So that was one thing that led to criticism against the vaccine. It wasn't until February that we actually got proper indications of the vaccine's ability to actually bring down severe hospitalization cases or severe COVID cases. And that's very important. That's one thing that helped reduce some of the criticism against the vaccine. However, recently there have been some concerns raised by various scientists and researchers, especially through a letter that they wrote to The Lancet on May 12th. Basically, these researchers, this international group of researchers, which are from Temple University in Philadelphia, uh, as well as other institutes, they raised concerns about the way that the information from the trials had been reported. They said that the phase three interim results, which talk about the efficacy of this vaccine, had substandard reporting. And they said that the investigators in these trials should make available publicly the data that they've basically used to analyze the results that we're seeing of, of 91.6% in efficacy. There's no clarity on the protocol that was followed in the testing. And that's something that we have seen even in India. When Dr. Reddy's was conducting its trial on participants in, in India, it was the only company that did not release a proper trial protocol on the Clinical Trial Registry of India. In the case of Sputnik V, even in India, we had no clarity from the CTRI as to what process was really being followed by Dr. Reddy's in the testing of this vaccine. So this criticism has come out internationally because globally, we don't really have that clarity from RDIF in the testing of Sputnik V. And that raises questions about the veracity of the information that is being provided and how safe the vaccine is and how well it can actually protect the population against COVID. And finally, coming to the center's new guidelines for managing COVID infection in rural areas. As rural areas see a rise in COVID-19 cases, the Centre on Sunday issued new guidelines for the containment of the virus. The Centre advised that peri-urban and rural areas should plan a minimum 30-bed COVID care centre for asymptomatic cases with comorbidities or mild cases where home isolation is not feasible. The Health Ministry said that the provision of rapid antigen test kits should be made available at all public health facilities, including sub-centres or health and wellness centres and primary health centres. The ministry released the SOP on COVID-19 containment and management in peri-urban, rural and tribal areas 
to enable communities to strengthen primary level healthcare infrastructure at all levels to intensify COVID-19 response. The ministry said that COVID care centers can admit a suspected or confirmed case, but it should have separate areas for suspected and confirmed cases with preferably separate entry and exit for each. According to the SOP released by the government, in every village, active surveillance should be done for influenza-like symptoms or severe acute respiratory infection periodically by ASHA with the help of Village Health Sanitation and Nutrition Committee. In accordance with ICMR guidelines, suspected COVID-19 cases that have been identified should link for testing to health facilities either through COVID-19 rapid antigen testing or by referral of samples to nearest COVID-19 testing laboratories. The SOP also recommended developing a system for providing pulse oximeters and thermometers on loan to families with a confirmed case of COVID-19 through ASHA or Anganwani workers and village-level volunteers. Depending upon the intensity of the surge and the number of cases, the ministry stated that as far as feasible, contact tracing should be done as per Integrated Disease Surveillance Programme guidelines. According to the document, the health infrastructure planned for peri-urban, rural and tribal areas shall be aligned to the already mentioned three-tier structure, that is, COVID care centres to manage mild or asymptomatic cases, dedicated COVID healthcare centres to manage moderate cases and dedicated COVID hospitals to manage severe cases. You were listening to Three Things by the Indian Express. Today's show was written and produced by me, Snigda Sharma, and was edited and mixed by Suresh Pawar. You can follow us and leave us feedback on Facebook or Twitter at Express Podcasts or send us an email at podcasts at indianexpress.com. And if you like this show, please do subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts from so more people can find us. You can also look for us in the audio section in the top right corner of our website, indianexpress.com. 